If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right. Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Let's talk about your cell phone carrier. When you think about your plan, does what you're getting feel fair? When it comes to staying connected, don't settle. When you switch to U.S. Cellular, not only do you upgrade to fair, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's fair. Learn more at uscellular.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who can quit using my phone anytime I want. Hang on, I have to get this. But in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Tristan Harris, the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. He was formerly a design ethicist at Google and started a movement combating tech addiction called Time Well Spent. Now he's back with a new problem he wants to solve, which he calls human downgrading. One example of human downgrading is the way social media amplifies grievances in our society and makes the world a less decent, less democratic place. For each word of moral outrage that you add to a tweet, it increases your retweet rate by 17%. Mm -hmm. So if you say, it's abominable, it's a disgrace, oh, right. these assholes that Dutch, you just get attention. And I almost want to sort of snap my fingers and tell everybody, you can wake up now. Although his previous movement, Time Well Spent, was seemingly embraced by many tech leaders, Harris said he's been disappointed by the responses from leaders like YouTube's CEO, Susan Wojcicki. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry for calling her out, but a platform that is steering two billion people's thoughts in a known documented radicalization way that we know is causing people to believe conspiracy theories, we know it's doing this and they're not solving the problem. Tristan, welcome back to Recode Decode. So good to be back here with you. So we were in this same tiny little room uh, talking about this, and it was way before people were thinking about it, this yeah. idea of time well spent. And I was just riveted to the idea that someone who was within one of these companies started to discuss these issues that were important. And now it seems to have intersected not just with all the other problems, but that it's it's an integral part of the social unrest problems and everything else, depression, addiction, yep. uh, the way people behave online, fake news. It's all part of the same thing. Exactly. So give people just a very quick how you started it and then what we previously talked about and where we're going now. Great. Yeah. So um, many people, I think, are who are aware of the work know vaguely of the story that um, back in 2013, I was a design, sorry, I was a product manager at Google mm -hmm. and I made this presentation about how we have a moral responsibility to mm -hmm. get the attention economy right. That we, in our hands, in Google's hands, were holding in our hands two billion people's attention mm -hmm. and we were shaping the flows that guided what two billion people were thinking about. 
And because thoughts precede action, that means you're controlling and shaping culture, relationships, politics, elections. Somehow people latched onto the addiction thing. That's Mm -hmm. how how the common public heard it. But it was always about what happens when you shape 2 billion people's attention. Right. The moral, what's your moral responsibility? Which is something I talk about a lot. This Mm -hmm. idea of what are you doing? It's actually basically a simple question. Why are you behaving this way? And do you understand your power? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, the tech industry, it's very hard to understand your power. Mm Because there you are, you're a Gmail engineer or you're a Facebook newsfeed engineer and you're just writing some lines of code every day, you don't think that's going to influence a genocide happening in the Myanmar or, mm-hmm. you know, influence the politics of France or populism around the world. And the whole point of this big new agenda that we're launching, the Humane Agenda, is to say that we need to move from this disconnected set of grievances and scandals, like mm-hmm. that these problems are seemingly separate. Tech they addiction, polarization, outrageification of culture, the rise in vanity, micro-celebrity culture, everyone has to be famous. These are not separate problems. Mm-hmm. They're actually all coming from one thing, which is the race to capture human attention by tech giants. Right. With increasingly powerful AIs pointed at your brain to reverse engineer, what can I throw in front of your nervous system? Mm-hmm to crawl down your brainstem and get something out of you. Right, exactly. Whether that's an ad click or an addiction or a political, you know, conversion or whatever, um, this is all part of one connected system like human, we call it human downgrading, which is the Mm -hmm. social climate change of culture. And it's important to have that because otherwise... It's almost like before there was climate change, there was just some one group of people working on coral reefs, another yeah. group of people working on hurricanes. Right now, and, these polar ice caps. And then these little... ice caps, and it's like, oh, these are disconnected. It's like, no, they're not disconnected. Right. These are all connected issues. And so we we have to have a unified agenda, and we ha- because that's the only way it's going to change, because it's an urgent problem. So that's why we hosted this big event right. in San Francisco Dad, last week. I'm going to go back just slightly to time well spent, because it got... Co-opted, too. Yep. I mean, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg co-opted yep. a little bit. Why do people pick on addiction first? Because you were talking about, I remember you talking about the slot machine of attention, the mm-hmm. idea that, that, that people are using all these tricks and tools. Tell me how you think that went, that part of it. And I agree with you, the interconnectedness is critical to understand. Yeah, well, so going back in time, I mean, first of all, going back to two years ago when we were in this room, Mm -hmm. um, this is two months after the election. We're trying to say, hey, social media and technology has has a a huge invisible impact Mm -hmm. on the way the world is playing out. Mm -hmm. That was a bold claim back then. Not that many people were talking about that, even though researchers, to give them credit, have been studying this for a long time. Mm -hmm. But that was not the popular media understanding. And Mark was saying it's crazy to think. Mark was saying it's crazy to think that fake news impacted the election. Russia, no, that what? Nothing, what? that's nothing going on there. Right. And so, you know, in terms of what happened with time well spent, and the, the important thing to say about that, which relates to the work we're doing now too, is that I saw how powerful, simple language of a common understanding could create change. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of hard to remember this, but before two years ago, people weren't using phrases like, technology has hijacked our minds. It's mm-hmm. this race to the bottom of the brainstem for attention. And, you know, we need time well spent. Those three phrases, mm-hmm. we, you know, we came up with some 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 ways to talk about something that a lot of people were feeling, but they didn't have right. a simple description for. Right. And I'm not trying to say this with any ego. I just mean that until there's good language to describe a problem, mm-hmm. it's just in the invisible felt sense layer. Sure. And no one knows what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as this language is out there, I, I, and this is behind our theory of change now, when you have common understanding and it gets repeated three times in one day, what happens when you're, you know, three times in one day someone repeats a book to you? Mm-hmm. Or you think about the book. You, you have to yeah. think about the book, you have to buy the book, or we have to address that problem. And so part of this is how do we create a lever that's big enough now 
to address the problem of human downgrading, which Mm -hmm. is that while we've been upgrading the machines, we've been downgrading humans. Right. Um, Downgrading our attention spans, downgrading our civility and our decency, downgrading democracy, downgrading mental health, Mm -hmm. and not intentionally, but that the the race to upgrade the machines. You're You're being nice. (laughs) <laughs> what do you think the— uh, With time well spent. With time well spent. They're, all of a sudden, Apple did its its, its screen time. Yep. Google talked about it. Everyone talked about it. How do you assess what's happened? Because some people think it's not nearly far enough, but they began to discuss the idea of it. Right. Well, Grayscale, so, everything else. Totally. So, I mean, so again, going back to culture change, you could say—and let me take you back to February 2013. Mm-hmm. I sat in Google for two years— trying to see, could we change things from the inside? Could Mm -hmm. we change how Android worked to reduce the addiction problem? Could we change how some of these products worked? And I didn't get very far. Right. And Because and why do we want to do that? Why do we want to do that? The culture hadn't caught up. Mm. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, hey, we're motivated by profit and you're going to take away our money. Yeah, that's that what people was, miss. It's not that. It's not that. Exactly. People think, oh, it's just these greedy corporations. It wasn't that. I can tell you. I was in the room with the Android yep, product I managers. It was just that it wasn't a priority. And right. so what I saw, which is what really powerful to see, is what happens when you create shared language, you go out there, you create public awareness, and a lot of people speak out. Roger McNamee, Jaron Lanier, Guillaume <laughs> Chaslow, Rene Diresta. Mm. people start speaking in this shared language and it starts to create change. So now what happens? So as you said, Apple and Google, both at the same time, May of last year, launched these digital well-being features. It's the reason why everyone has these charts and graphs of where their time is going on phones. This is definitely a direct... You know, 100%. consequence of, of this they awareness raising. They never would raising. have done it otherwise. Right. And so that's a really powerful lesson for me mm-hmm. because it shows you that if a lot of people say there's a problem here and they understand that the responsibility really is on the side of technology, mm-hmm. then that, that can cause change to happen. And the most important thing about it is that all these companies did it at the same time. So Apple and Google both launched these things in May of 2018. So now it's like we flipped from a race to the bottom Mm -hmm. to now it's a race to the top for who cares more about people's well-being. Now to your question of, is that enough? No, 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 absolutely not. It's like How do you assess what they've done so far? Let's just where we are right now. Well, I I mean, if you just take the, first of all- You want to say thank you, but at the same time, it's like, it's like, I I don't know. It just, it reminds me of when you, when someone does something that they should have done anyway. Right. Like, thank you for not hitting me. Right, like, right. Know, it's or it's like really. when someone apologizes a little bit, but but not enough. I mean, mm-hmm. also different companies bear different levels of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, Apple's in one of the best positions to do so much more in this topic because mm-hmm. their business model isn't about attention at all. Right. And they're kind of like the Federal Reserve or the Central Bank of Attention. People mm-hmm. forget that. You, people think, how are we going to regulate the attention economy? They go to governments, but let's, let's go to Apple. Apple mm-hmm. can change the incentives really quickly. In right. a year from now, we could have iOS 13 or 14 mm-hmm. suddenly flipping the incentives around. But, you know, in terms of what you're saying, it's really important to celebrate when things do move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's we want to celebrate it just a tiny little bit, like a little golf clap, because right. it's like, <laughs> you know, when you really examine the full surface area of mm-hmm. harms, polarization, radicalization, right. outrageification culture, call-out culture, groups being marginalized, people mm-hmm. feeling threatened and trolled, these are all direct consequences of a race to get attention because right. the stuff that's best at getting attention, it turns out, let me give you an example with outrage, for each word of moral outrage that you add to a tweet, it increases your retweet rate by 17%. Mm-hmm. So if you say, it's abominable, it's a disgrace, oh, right. these assholes that Dutch, you just get attention. Yes, I've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> You've noticed. Yeah. And, it's, and the thing is, because attention is finite and Twitter's looking at, you know, whatever gets the most attention, that stuff starts filling up a greater and greater percentage of of the channel. Right. And then it makes culture seem like everyone is outraged all the time. Mm -hmm. And I almost, you know, I studied a little bit of magic and hypnosis when I was, um, the last few years, 
And I almost want to sort of snap my fingers and tell everybody, you can wake up now. Like, there's a, a bit of artificial polarization mm-hmm. that we've all gone, like, you know, society's been thrown into the outrage washer machine, and we've been, like, spinning around in there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, there's deep grievances and deep problems in society, but they've been so amplified. Really, truly. By social media. Yeah. And if we can, you know, and there was some criticism of this in our in our presentation last week about saying take a breath. It's like it's more like just to notice, right. first of all, that this isn't all real. The grievances are real, but the amplification of polarization is artificial. Well, it was interesting. There was this interesting story in the New York Times where it was about there's Twitter, there's Twitter Democrats and real Democrats, which mm. was they're not quite as mad. They're not quite as angry. Right. They're not quite as right. incensed because it does. It creates this outrage culture, although it does filter down. It filters everywhere, all over the place. Well, that's the thing people miss, actually, because people say, oh, well, you know, I don't use these products, so I'm fine and I'm not outraged. But you live in a society that's affected by these dynamics, meaning the outrage spills out of the screen into the social fabric. Right. So, for example, you know, um, maybe you say, I don't use YouTube and I don't believe conspiracies. Well, guess what? You live in a culture where you maybe send your kids to a school where other people do Mm -hmm. and they stop vaccinating their kids because they've been surrounded by social media saying don't vaccinate your kids. The WHO says that uh, the anti-vaccination or vaccine hesitancy is now a top 10 global health threat. And in part, I know you've interviewed Renee Diresta, Mm -hmm. who's one of my heroes, um, you know, about how this is spread on social media. The point is that even if you don't use these products, it's actually holding the pen of history. It's shaping the outcomes of every major election around the world. Mm-hmm. It's shaping the politics of outrage. It's shaping populism. Um, you know, in Brazil, I don't think you would have gotten a Bolsonaro without well, WhatsApp and Facebook. Right. You have videos of all of his supporters shouting, Facebook, Facebook, WhatsApp, WhatsApp, like proudly saying this is what, mm-hmm. you know, won the election. Trump? Yeah, Trump. I mean, I think that this stuff is really shaping everything. And even, you know, I was just with Frank Luntz down in, in the Milken Conference, and even he's saying, you know, this is this is not good. We have to have a reconciliation. We have to realize that we, we can't keep going this direction. We All have right. to reverse the polarization. So, so Apple's one of them. What about Google? And then I want to get to what your what's your solution. Yeah. You know, so Google also launched these digital well-being features. So again, you know, without us writing a single line of code, to be able to say, if you change culture, you know, billions of dollars of where companies are directing their resources and their design can change. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because with this podcast, with other people who are speaking, if we have a surround sound where everyone's saying the same problem of human downgrading, yep then they can start to reverse it. And so Apple and Google, you know, both collectively, that's going to reach more than a billion phones, Mm -hmm. you know, this year. Um, So people's phones go grayscale at the end of the night. That helps um, reduce the the effects of blue light and some of the addictive qualities. But again, these are are baby steps. Facebook last year um, embraced time well spent in Zuckerberg's January 2018 letter. He said our new goal for the company is to make sure the time people spend is time well spent. Mm -hmm. However, as you may know, he followed that up in in (laughs) in the shareholder call with that means people spending more time watching videos together right, online. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, it's well, sort of Facebook is Facebook. Facebook right? is Facebook. That's my favorite. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's that's not enough. And um, and we have to see, you know, what is the price tag of human downgrading? Is mm-hmm. it just that, oh, like we have a lot less attention spans or we're addicted or we're more polarized? It's like, if you add up this balance sheet, free is the most expensive business model we've ever created. Mm-hmm. Because if people can't agree on shared facts and truth, that's it. Right. That's yeah. it. When truth becomes political. When truth becomes political. Because we have we have such enormous problems with inequality and climate change, especially, that are increasing. And our the quality of our sense-making is going down while our problems are going up. We can't even construct a shared agenda of what we want to do about it. It's harder than ever. 
And so if we don't have technology that, I mean, I'm not saying that technology solves the problem, but obviously it's pointing us the wrong way right now. So if we reverse it, and it, it, imagine we have superhuman powers to find common ground. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to speak like a techno-utopian. I'm not saying right. tech's going to solve the answer. I'm saying we have to go from technology amplifying the polarization to at least in its you know, well, qualities you know, that of That was the idea from the beginning, right? That was why it would attracted me to it at the, yeah. 25 years ago, was right. the idea that this was commonality, that, right. that we had commonality and that these tools could bring commonality. Right. They could create a global commonality right, exactly. in a way. Yeah. Right. You know, we used to have things like the fairness doctrine, you know, in mm-hmm. television that right. we'd have equal sides. We have some, you know, in, in Europe, I think during the soccer breaks, they have like, you know, 10 minutes of a common news thing during the mm-hmm. period where everyone's paying attention to soccer games, football games. You know, we don't have that with social media. It has completely fragmented our truth. And more importantly, the scale of the disinformation and misinformation people tend to underestimate. I don't think you've had Guillaume Cheslow no, on the program, but he's the ex-YouTube yeah. recommendations engineer. He works with us. And his research showed that, that Alex Jones was recommended 15 billion times. Right. Well, you like, know how I feel about the recommendation systems of YouTube. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. We said in the, our presentation yeah. last week, you know, the, the whole thing is imagine a spectrum. You've got the calm Walter Cronkite, you know, David Attenborough side of YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have Crazy Town, UFOs, Bigfoot, etc. Right. No matter where you start, you could start in Calm Town or you could start in Crazy Town. But if I'm YouTube, which direction on those two poles am I going to send you? I'm always going to tilt the playing field towards crazy town because that's where I get more more time spent. Mm-hmm. And so YouTube is recommending Teen Girl Watches a Dieting Video. This is a year ago. Uh, it recommended anorexia videos. You start with a uh, NASA moon landing, you get flat earth. And once people go to these, these more extreme beliefs or these more conspiracy beliefs, there's a study showing um, the best predictor about believing in conspiracy theories is whether you already believe one. So if you believe one, it kind of ratchets you up into to this the different— To the next one. To the yeah. next one. Moon and, landing, I think, yes, definitely right. vaccines or Because it, it, it changes, like speaking as like a kind of magician, hypnotist person, like when you flip people's mind into that kind of questioning, paranoid mindset— mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a a birthday present about two years ago where a friend had me walk down to these docks in Brooklyn, and she she said, just like, sit there, and this is like an assignment kind of, and I was mm-hmm. just like looking out at the ocean, and um, someone came by, they were flipping, they were taking Polaroid photos, and they thought they were just taking Polaroid like a tourist, mm-hmm. and then suddenly she handed the Polaroid to me and said, you know, go to this address in this dock, and she wrote this little letter on the Polaroid and handed it to me. And the point of saying this is it flipped my whole perception around because suddenly I was wondering who's in on this thing. Right, right. And like everyone around me could have been in on it. I think that was a Michael Douglas movie. (laughs) Exactly, the game. (laughs) And so suddenly, you know, conspiracy theories on these, uh, you know, magnified by these platforms, times of billions of people, by the way. Right. you know, it flips everyone's mind into this kind of questioning mindset that questions institutions and trust, and people don't believe the media, they don't believe in government anymore. And if you look at the disinformation actors, what Russia's trying to do as well, the whole point is to get people to distrust their institutions. Right, because that's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. Have to do. So that's why you called it, now, going from time well spent, which is talking about the addiction issues, which are actually physical issues. Like, yeah. it actually is addictive. It absolutely is, um, yeah. To the idea of downgrading. Yeah. So what shifted you? Like, you got a ton of attention for time well spent. And yeah. addiction, again, addiction was the biggest part of it. What shifted you to it? I mean, obviously, you spent a lot of time with Roger, who's talking about this in Facebook. Yep. What made you go that way? Well, so, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, Roger, who's fantastic, you know, we we ended up you know, <laughs> pairing up as a team and going into Congress. And we were at these conferences talking to all the developing countries groups where you have genocides being amplified, but the ethnic tensions um, from social media amplifying the fake news about minority groups, whether it's the 
um, the Rohingya in, in Myanmar so or Sri Lanka. There's, there's so many examples. Cameroon, Niger- Nigeria. So when you when you get a, a deeper and fuller accounting of the harms, um, it wasn't that I was unaware of those things before, by the way. It's right. Just, no, we talked about Part of this them. is just getting, yeah, it's just getting, you know, we, we can't, if you think about how fast the harms are accruing mm-hmm. and you think about what is it going to take to fix these problems, we need language that when you say the phrase human downgrading, it should speak to the full climate change set of harms. Otherwise, if you pull on a lever and it's only on the other side of that lever is only fixing the addiction problem mm-hmm. or you're only trying to fix the polarization problem, we're not going to get change fast enough. Right. And we actually need to move market forces in the direction of reversing human downgrading. So I think of this almost like moving from an era of an extractive attention economy that's the race to the bottom to strip mine, frack human attention out of human beings, to frack see is human a very beings. Good word to see human beings as resources, mm-hmm. to a regenerative attention economy that says, almost like the, the birth of solar panels and wind or whatever, we still need attention from people. But what if we're living in a world where we're competing to minimize that attentional footprint and most create leverage for people to get what they want what out they of their want, lives? What they want, with the useful parts of what it is, that we're, yeah. where you get utility. Right, utility. And, and let's also speak to this, because we often get criticized mm-hmm. as this sort of anti-tech group or yes, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Welcome really... To my- section of town too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how <laughs> these things tech. yeah. We love tech. It's funny how these things how these things happen. So, let me give a few examples like YouTube is fantastic. Yeah. Like it has never been easier to learn a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. It has never been easier to do it yourself, yep. fix any 100%. item in your home. It has never been easier to get health advice. My my our co-founder Aza Raskin, mm-hmm. you know, had this leg injury and he looked up on YouTube, how do you massage your leg to, to heal faster? Mm-hmm. And it helped him more than any doctor right. he'd Dr. seen. Dr. Google. Dr. Google. Mm-hmm. So there's certain benefits that are amazing. It's never been easier to laugh with friends mm-hmm. with YouTube. Like yeah. that's a perfect example. Yeah. The problem is that that's not what these products are about. Mm-hmm. These are great examples but if you look at the surface area of what's actually happening, what are right. most people experiencing most most of the time? And like climate change, all I have to do is tilt the playing field just two degrees on the polarization right. or on the outrage. Use or plastic on the bags, use plastic bottles. Yeah, yeah and, and, and suddenly the whole thing can tilt and go crazy so fast. And if you look at the solutions that the companies are offering, like mm-hmm. let's hire 10,000 content moderators. Right. Like, Impossible. It's impossible. They, they can't, and I'm not saying this to complain. I just mean this is a very delicate, dangerous, complex situation. When you hire 10,000 content moderators, I would just ask, how many Facebook or, or YouTube engineers speak the 22 languages of India? Right. Where there's an election coming up next month. Right. There is four fact checkers in Nigeria for a country of 24 million people. They there's, can't do it. They can't, I know that. I always yeah. say that. Then that's ridiculous. Right. What you're doing is ridiculous. It's because they don't know what to do. Right. right? We're, we're going to talk about that and what we're going to do about yeah. this. Uh, we're here with Tristan Harris. He's the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. If you're an early adopter, 
You get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair, too. Fairness isn't a new idea, but it is to wireless. That's where U.S. Cellular comes in. At U.S. Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com. Okay, we're here with Tristan Harris. He's the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. Explain what that is now. What, do, yep. what are you doing? Where is it at? What's the? And then we'll get into these solutions and this new focus on on downgrading yep. humanity. Great. Um, so yeah, we're a nonprofit. We have mm-hmm. seven people in San Francisco. We need to grow to about twenty. We have about every major world government knocking on our door. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're trying to help the tech companies navigate these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're a nonprofit based in San Francisco. A lot of the former technology insiders who built some of these things, Aza Raskin, who's one of my best friends and Mm -hmm. is a co-founder of Center for Humane Technology. Um, His father, Jeff, uh, invented the Macintosh project at Apple, uh, who actually wrote a book called The Humane Interface. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually where the phrase humane came from, because Jeff's Jeff's work, his dad, Jeff, um, you know, said that the purpose of of being humane is to be considerate of human needs and responsive to human frailties. Mm -hmm. You start by understanding the frailties of human nature, and you design to protect those things. That's what it is to be humane in terms of yes. designing technology. And what we think is that technology right now is fitting society like a glove, but it's fitting our reptilian brain like Absolutely. a glove. And so we need to fit our social fabric like a glove. We have to ask what strengthens, what are we fitting it to? That's why we often invoke this metaphor of ergonomics. So just like an ergonomic chair, if you don't know anything about the geometry of your back, mm-hmm. then everyone's sitting in these chairs that are just misaligned because no one's ever looked at what is the geometry of backs. Right. So it's almost like society has a geometry of what makes for civility, decency, trust, open-mindedness, et cetera. And, you know, broadcasting to 50,000 people and having call-out culture at scale is not very good right. <laughs> ergonomically fit for that. So so, so you, this is a group that you, you, you're dedicated to doing what? We are dedicated to reversing human downgrading. By how? By advocacy, research. We're trying to educate designers to basically change how they're designing these products. Because the point is, per your point, about the AI is not going to solve the problem, content monitors aren't going to solve no. the problem. It's actually a sophistication about human nature and social dynamics that's going to fix the problem. So what are the kinds of spaces where people are open-minded and civil? Let's just take this common ground example. Mm-hmm. So it turns out like groups, like for example, take, take something like um, your feeling about whether you can participate in a group. Have you ever been at a dinner where it's like 20 people? Do you feel like it's easy to participate? I do, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I, I, I bet you do. Um, but, you know, yeah, for most people, people 20, 20 people is like too big. So right. that's like unergonomic to participation. So let's take that value of participation. Let's say, well, what tends to work ergonomically? What fits that value? Oh, a group of about six people. And that's where an example like uh, Living Room Conversations is an is a organization, nonprofit and a project that um, uh, basically facilitates six-person conversations, equal political sides, um, about a shared topic of interest with real passion, with good facilitation, and generates common ground. And they mm-hmm. get real people, and they feel like you have a meaningful conversation. Right. Because you can actually talk to each other and respond to the last point that was made, as opposed to, oh, they keep going around the table because there's 20 people and you can't mm-hmm. actually respond. So that's an example of, you know, how do we apply a lesson like that to how Twitter is designed, or how Facebook is designed, or how Reddit is designed. Um, because another example with Reddit is there was a project called Change My View, where it's a whole channel that was dedicated to people saying, I invite you to change my mind about X. Mm -hmm. So for example, I think climate change isn't real um, because of X, Y, and Z. 
please change my mind. That's an invitation that says, let's have a dialogue about mm-hmm. that. And they successfully created this whole community where people gain, um, they're called delta points. So the more you change people's minds, the more points you get. And so it creates this community of trust and thoughtfulness and rewarding expertise as opposed to rewarding outrage and winning based on who's better at punning or, you know, shaming the other side. Right. And so those are the lessons that we need. Not better AI, not more data, not just the blockchain, not just more Jeremy Bentham ethics, Kantian, you know, Amartya Sen. <laughs> People often have this thing, you know, we're yeah. here at Stanford and uh, we have to train the engineers in ethics. Believe me, as a former design ethicist, I embrace that. I think that's great, but that's actually still not enough. What we right. really need is this subtle sophistication about how do you design social systems to bring out the best in human nature. And so what we try to do at the Center for Humane Technology is provide frameworks and he- help educate those design teams to do that. And also point out when people are not doing that. Correct. You know, and do that, you know, peacefully or sort of, I mean, with with <laughs> pointed critiques, but are, that are not directed at the individuals and saying, look, this is a system that produces these harms and we have to have an honest balance sheet of those harms. Do you feel like you've gotten through to the leaders? Because these are still the founders. These are still the original people, which I think I find them, I, I hate to use a religious term, but I yeah. find them religious. They're religious yeah. about what they've done. Say more about that. Well, I think, you know, when you when you're someone who's running a TV network now is very different than the founders of the TV network. They mm. pushed forward in ways that they did that they don't do now. They just run it like a business, right. essentially. And I think the founders believe in their mission in a way that's very hard to get them off of it. Right. For them to develop in yeah. any way. I mean, I think a good example of this is Susan Wojcicki, who's running YouTube yeah. now, says, my job is not to fix these things. My job is to run the business. Right. And I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry for calling her out, but a platform that is steering two billion people's thoughts in a known documented radicalization way mm-hmm. that we know is causing people to believe conspiracy theories and to uh, increase hatred. And 50% of, uh, I think, white nationalists in this Bellingcat study said YouTube is what red-pilled them into mm-hmm. white nationalism. Mm-hmm. Like, we know it's doing this, and they're not solving the problem. Right. I think she's not... that. that I think she is concerned. I was just with her, and oh. she looked beside herself, I okay. think. I would say... I mean, it's great that... I just, there was an interview in Bloomberg yeah, where she I said, it's that. my job to run the business. I know right. that quotes get taken out of context, no, which is a, part a, of the problem. I can but, see her saying that, because she's a business person. Right. But I think the the we were talking about... Some, there was an issue, which was really interesting. Someone who was uh, anti-gay and lesbian yeah. put a bunch of biblical quotes mm. on YouTube and did a video, and it was just biblical quotes, mm-hmm. essentially, right? And so they did those and then sold them as ads. They put them as ad- they It wasn't a YouTube channel. It was an ad, and they bought an ad of the biblical quotes. Right. Then those ads got put into gay and lesbian videos. And right. so all these gay and lesbian video sites were like, what are you doing putting an anti-gay ad into our thing? And then they it's pulled it. It's a digital it. franket. They can't well, control it. Well, then they it. pulled it. And then the guy who made it is like, this is, I'm not violating anything. This is from the Bible. And so, it, and she was like, I just don't even know what to do. Like that, I, I, I had to say, I don't know what you should do. I said, I think you should shut the whole thing down. That was, I was I, like, well, I don't, this, shutting down is my only. This, I, I tend to agree. I mean, not like. Listen, the problem isn't just um, let's just shut down technology. No, I mean, I wrote that in yeah. the Times. It's like Sri Lanka. I, yeah. I was sort of like, good, shut it down. Yeah. Just for now. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. to calm everything down. I mean, it's just like what Roger Roger and I had this thing we were saying about a year and a half ago. It was this Tylenol example. Mm-hmm. You know, when it was found there was poison in Tylenol. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnson & Johnson took it yep. off the shelf Mr. Baker, until yeah. it was safe. And their stock price tanked, but then it went up even higher because people trusted them. Right. Now, the problem is that the harms now are not as simple as 
whether or not we're all just getting poisoned from Tylenol. It's this diffuse climate change like harm. Maybe it doesn't affect you, but it's causing genocides around the world or it's mm-hmm. causing millions of people to believe conspiracy theories and debasing our our social fabric. But because that doesn't affect you, people don't have that same level of urgency of we have to shut it down. But they right. really need to see it's not like the world was broken mm-hmm. before 10 years ago when you could watch a video and nothing autoplayed. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the important thing to say here in terms of who's the responsible party, 70% of YouTube's traffic, this is actually a year ago, so it's even higher now, I'm sure. 70% of YouTube's traffic is driven by what the algorithm is recommending. Mm-hmm. And the example of this is people think, oh, that's not true. Like, I'm the one choosing my way through YouTube. Right. No. Let me debase that. That no. is not true. Even my 13-year-old knows that. Right. Well, I mean, the simplest example is you're sitting there, you're about to hit play in a YouTube video. And you're like, I know there's other times I get sucked in, but this time is going to be different. And then, of course, you hit play, and two hours later, you wake up from a trance. You're like, what the hell just happened to me? Right. Because what happened in that moment, people don't see, is that somewhere in a Google server, is it wakes up this avatar model voodoo doll version of you. Mm -hmm. And based on all your clicks and likes, those are like your hair filings and nail clippings. It makes this model behave more and more like you. Mm -hmm. And then what they do is they prick that little avatar model with 100 million videos, and they say, well, which one, if I were to test this video, this video, this video, this video, would keep you there the longest? And so it's like playing chess against your mind. Right, yourself. Yeah, and it's going to win because, I mean, if you think about why does Gary Kasparov beat you and I at chess? Like, why? Because I can't play chess, but go ahead. (laughs) Well, he sees, to the extent that we play chess, he sees more moves ahead Mm -hmm. on the chessboard. So you're seeing someone, you're playing it out, you're playing out simulated versions of, well, if I did this, he would do this, but he's just playing out more simulations, Mm -hmm. so he wins. But when Gary loses against the best supercomputer in 2004, Gary doesn't just lose chess in that match, it's like he was the best human chess player we had. So from that moment onward, all of humanity has has now worse at chess than computers. They've overtaken Right. Humans at chess. Right. So it's now, a better Gary Kasparov. Better Gary Kasparov. So now here we are, two billion human social animals with the best hardware we've got. It's like bringing a, a knife to a space laser fight. We're bringing our tiny little prefrontal cortex, which is amazing, but also very limited. We have mm-hmm. paleolithic emotions. And we're bringing that to bear when we're about to hit play on a YouTube video. And YouTube has now overrun, and Facebook, by the way, anyone with a supercomputer, Google, YouTube, Facebook, can simulate the perfect things to show us. Now, this is actually a deep point that people, I think, really underestimate because it's sort of a civilizational moment when when an intelligent species, us, we produce a technology where that technology can simulate the weaknesses of the creator. So it's almost like the the, the puppet that we've created can actually simulate a a version of its creator and know exactly what puppet strings to pull on the creator. So now we're all outraged. You know, look, take the kids' example. You have kids who are now addicted to um, what they look like on social media because mm-hmm. uh, Snapchat promotes this beautification filter, right. basically rewarding you whenever you look different the way than you actually do. Like, the, it's never been easier to see that, that people only like you if you look different than you actually look. Right. Right? 55% of plastic surgeons um, reported seeing someone who wants to get plastic surgery to look like their Snapchat beautification filter. This is for teen girls. So this, if you don't know this, the beautification mm-hmm. filters in Snapchat, yeah. you know, they, they plump your eyes, your, mm-hmm. your cheeks, your lips. Yep. And so we're distorting people's identity. And when you realize that this is having a control over our social fabric, it's having a control over children's mental health, it's having control over our politics, it's having control over our elections, and people really haven't realized that technology is holding the pen of history right now. 
Like, so what, we're not in control. When you when you think about all the d- different things, one of the things I you do get is that they're all working together, but not thinking of it at all mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. That, that that they don't think that each individual they're making a problem. It is like everyone getting a plastic like, bottle, everybody buying. The, like it, it it's cre- like climate change. I mean, they're, they're right. each. It's like you know, Facebook and YouTube are, are kind of Shell and Exxon, mm-hmm. and. You know, it, but it's worse though because they also own the satellites mm-hmm. about t- that can detect how much pollution is being created. Right. So it's a really important point: how much human downgrading is in polarization, or you know, um, anger is happening in each of these countries, like from Facebook. We don't know right. because guess who has who has the data? Well, you and I don't. Right? Who has the data? They're, they do. They do. So this is why you know we had this line of it's a living, breathing crime scene mm-hmm. in each of these elections. They they are the only ones who have the data. So it's like Shell and Exxon, where you create the pollution, but you privately profit. The harm shows up on the balance sheet of the society, and the only way that we're going to know what those harms are accurately is if we have access to the data. So it's as if Shell and Exxon own the observatory right. satellites. Right. 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 So. Clearly, from a regulatory perspective, this has to change. The easiest thing, though, to change, I mean, not that it's easy, but the thing that fundamentally has to change is that we're moving from an extractive attention economy that treats human beings as resources. As fuel. As fuel, right, for our data, for our attention, to a regenerative attention economy where we just don't drill. I mean, we, why in the world would we say, let's profit off of the self-esteem of children? Mm-hmm. Like, this... This is so wrong. Right. And we used to protect this. So we're going to get in the next second, we're going to how we're going to do that. Yeah. But one of the things that is fascinating to me is one is these companies now do feel victimized. Have you, you've picked that up, haven't you? From yes, them. very much so. Because they're trying hard. They're doing lots of good and they're going to be victimized from their past behavior. And I totally get it. Right. I totally get why right. they feel I had that someone way. saying like, oh, we're still paying for 2016. I'm like, yeah, you are. You haven't right. paid it off yet. Right. Sorry. Right. Sorry. You're going to have to keep paying. And in fact... Again, you may have to shut it down. You may not have to do that. And one of the things that's really interesting is when I talk to a lot of these people is, you know, they're like, well, this is the way it works. I'm like, maybe you don't get to grow. Maybe you don't get to do this. Maybe you don't. Like, that's what you were just talking about. Why would you want to benefit off of the self-esteem of children? Right. Maybe you don't get to do that. And we're going to talk about that in the next section. But one of the things I try to, I use the example, and I've used it many times, is of a, uh, and I I use it again and again, because again, I want to repeat it over Mm -hmm. so people get it. There's two things I say all the time, or three things. One is, uh, everything that can be digitized will be digitized. So Mm -hmm. be, be mindful of what that means. The second one is that, you know, the Russians didn't hack Facebook. They used it as a customer, right. which I think I like to say over and again. The third yeah. thing, which I think is actually most accurate, because everyone's trying to look for metaphors of what is happening here. And I like to think of these platforms as cities that own everything and you pay the rent for being there. Right. Even if it's free, it's not free in any way whatsoever. Yep. And they decide not to provide police and garbage and right. signs right. Exactly. and anything. And they still get the rent. Yeah. And that's and you then that's the society you get. Right. And they don't like to see themselves that way. Right. That, so the the urban planning metaphor is the best one. Uh, I totally agree. We we've been saying similar things for years. Mark Andreessen obviously has this quote mm-hmm. that software it's is eating, eating the, the world. world. Right. right. But if you think about what that means in the context of well who's running the software? Well, these billion-dollar corporations. So what that really means is that private incentives Mm -hmm. are eating the world, meaning private companies are in the world. And also, we don't regulate those private companies, so it means that deregulation is eating the world. So Mm -hmm. take an example. So Saturday morning was a protected area of the attention economy Mm -hmm. for children. We say we have these rules that govern what you can and can't do, what you can advertise, et cetera. But then YouTube for Kids gobbles up that area of the attention economy. So now you have a private company 
governing a public part of life, right. of children's mental health in right. Saturday morning. And whatever protections we had there, guess what? They're gone. They're not there. They're they not never there. were there. Right. So from a regulatory standpoint, just a framework to use, is a very simple way of thinking about this is what were protections on these different areas that we had that we simply lost because we let private incentives eat it up. And let's ask, what were the principles behind those protections? Initially. Initially, and let's bring those protections back. Right. Like, the, the way that they make sense. That's just an easy one. So, another example is elections. We used to regulate that um, if Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump want to put an ad at 7 p.m. on a Tuesday, it. it should be an equal price. Yeah. And we can see that, you know, who did it. And there's a certain rules about, you know, the equal price, et cetera. Then you let Facebook gobble up election advertising, that area of the attention economy. Without any regulation. Without any regulation. And suddenly it's an auction. And suddenly it's like, wait, who decided that? Why are they the government of how now 2 billion people's elections are governed? And moreover, even if they have good intentions or they hire ethicists, it'd be like, do you want Coca-Cola governing you know, the public square, no. but then they hire some ethicists to be better. It's well, like, no, you don't want Coca-Cola government I think the that's the square. interesting part, is that they become the de facto public squares without being public. Right. They're private. Exactly. They're the private public squares, and then they get to hide behind First Amendment stuff. That's it's right. First Amendment. I'm like, you're not public. Right. You're not a government. Well, this is where the metaphor of urban planning is so important, because it shows that they are environments that we inhabit. Mm-hmm. They're, they're environments. They're not products we use. This is the thing we were trying to say years ago, was people say, oh, it's just a tool. It's just this neutral thing. I can use it to post stuff to my friends. It's like, no, when you're creating the habitat that 2 billion people live by, we spend about a fourth of our days, a fourth of our lives now in artificial social systems, meaning in these digital mm-hmm. environments. And that's just on screen. I mean, when you're off screen, you're still thinking thoughts right. that came from that artificial social environment. Mm-hmm. So we have to govern them as public spaces. They, they, they're taking they over public. Governed, or they really? have to be governed, exactly. Right. And right. this is a challenge, and, and there's no, just to be clear here, I mean, it's not like there's these easy answers of like, right. well, it's easy, you just have to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, there's different governments, Absolutely. and there's authoritarian governments, and developing countries, and different languages, and we've never had a problem like this before. But that's the conversation we need to have, is how right. do we govern but uh, we're going to talk about that That next. I have to say, authoritarians love social media. They yeah. don't want to shut them down. Uh, right. Democracies want to shut them down, which is kind of, uh, it's a fascinating time. Anyway, when we get back, we're going to talk about that and what the solutions are. We're going to take another break now. We're back with Tristan Harris, the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're here with Tristan Harris. He's the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology, and has, he's gotten very well known for for putting technology companies to the task of things, the impact they were having on society. We've just been talking fantastic uh, discussion about what has happened. So let's talk about what you need, what we need to do, because like you talked about, everything has been so disparate, whether it's technology addiction or AI or 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 the political unrest or hate speech, they don't get linked together. Right. Linking them together is critical. I just wrote an essay talking about that. They're all linked together. It's right. not one problem. Exactly. And they all inform each other. Right. And they're all part of self-reinforcing feedback loops, much like climate change. Mm-hmm. Like carbon has a self-reinforcing feedback loop with methane and oceans, et cetera. So similarly, um, in the attention economy, uh, is it easier to say short 
brief soundbody things or long, complex, nuanced things. Mm-hmm. No, short soundbody things. When you say short things, what tends to work better is outrage. Outrage gets 17% higher retreat weights. Mm-hmm. So then if outrage gets said more often, then we polarize people more often. Po- more polarization means we're more isolated living in our own chambers. When we're more isolated, we're more vulnerable to conspiracy theory and thinking. And so these things sort yeah, of self-reinforce. Absolutely. So we need a name for this connected system. Um, we just use this phrase human downgrading because it... Mm. it it gets at this the heart, which is that while our our data and our, our attention are used to upgrade the machines to build better and better avatar right. models of us, it's downgrading humans. It's so downgrading what, our mental health, children, attention spans. In the immediate term, first, what needs to be done? Obviously, the realization is happening. I think right. there's the tech clash is here and going strong. Yeah. What has to happen? Well, on the tech clash thing, first, I would like to see us get calmer and more nuanced about let's just let's just solve the problem i mean there's clearly as you said there's a lot of rage and frustration about the past i agree with a lot of that these issues were not hidden it was not impossible to foresee some of these consequences but now we are where we are and we have to talk about how we can fix it so the thing that we're most trying to say is we have to have a common language and framework for addressing these problems so human downgrading we said comes from three things one is unergonomic or artificial social environments. So that's what I mean by we're we're like contorting ourselves to fit right. into the this product. into this fit to the product, as opposed to the product wanting to fit around our friendships, fit around our society, our public square, our civility. It should be asking how do I fit and strengthen those things, not how do I debase them mm-hmm. and replace it with my synthetic right. version. That's the first diagnosis. The second one is from these overpowering AIs where they have a voodoo doll avatar version mm-hmm. of each of us that's more powerful and they can use that to manipulate. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's a Will Smith movie about to come out, Gemini Man, but go ahead. Oh, interesting. The clone, they build a clone of himself, and then he goes back to try to kill. They're both assassins, and so he can't really kill himself because he knows all his moves. Anyway. Right, interesting. I'm very excited <laughs> to see this. Um, I mean, this this is, gets really dangerous when you realize that, again, everyone is looking out. This is a big point we made at the beginning of our new agenda uh, last week in this big presentation. We think of it as like the inconvenient truth for tech. Um, mm-hmm. And the point we made is, up until now, the biggest sort of uh, milestone point that people talk about in the future of tech is when does it get better than human intelligence? When does it get better than human strength? When are strengths? they not dolphins, right? Right, yeah. exactly. So when when are they, um, you know, uh, taking our jobs because they can do everything we can do better than us? But there's a much earlier point. Imagine there's that timeline. Here's the graph of technological progress going up, 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 up. And there's an earlier point before it crosses human strengths. All it has to do is cross human weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And from that, it's like a magician. If you're a PhD... As a magician, I don't care. I don't need to know that. I just need to know your weaknesses, not your strengths. Right. And when technology exploits our weaknesses, it gains control. So the point of this second diagnosis of going from these overpowering AIs, avatar voodoo dolls of each of us, those have to be a fiduciary to our interests because that's a dangerous kind of asymmetric power. Mm-hmm. We have a model for this in every other form of asymmetric power. Lawyers who you hand all of your personal information over to so they can best represent you. Right. Doctors, you hand you, you want to hand them as much information about you, so they have more to to, 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 use to diagnose you. To diagnose you, so it's fine to have asymmetric power insofar as it is in our interest. It represents our interest, mm. and you know the joke about this is that Facebook is like a priest in a confession booth, whose business model is to sell access to the confession booth 
to anybody who wants to pay them. Right. But it's worse than that because they listen to two billion people's confessions mm-hmm. and they have a that's supercomputer a and they have a supercomputer next to them that's calculating two billion people's confessions so that yeah. as you're walking in, it can predict the confessions you're going to make before you make them. Right. And then it actually sells access to the prediction about you mm-hmm. to uh, an advertiser. Right. And so that is a dangerous kind of power where it's like, you know, we, we can have priests and confession booths, although the joke is, Maybe we shouldn't have those. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but you let's don't not go into want, that let's topic. not go into that, but you don't want priests whose business model is to sell access to right. someone else. Right. So the fiduciary thing is critical because it immediately says you cannot have a business model based on exploiting the psychology of the person that you're seeing so, when you have asymmetric knowledge about them. So what do we do? Well, that's a whole area for legal scholars and policymakers to think about. So, we want to assist that conversation. Again, we're... we're so, what are some of the good ideas? What are some of the bad ideas in this? Uh, good ideas about what... What, what to do well, about this bad priest. Yeah, well, that's... So Jack Ooh. Balkin at, um, I think, at Harvard Law School has written this paper about information fiduciaries. But I think that's a that was written in 2004, and it's mm-hmm. more outdated. I think we need a, a newer model that represents the power of AI and prediction. As right. a computer scientist... I know where this is going. Like, mm-hmm. take Cambridge Analytica. They needed to um, get access to your data to, to predict your big five personality traits. Once they know your big five personality traits, they can tune political messages to mm-hmm. you. Okay. But they had to get those 150 Facebook likes from you, right. right? And so that was that whole scandal. There's a paper out by Gloria Mark at UC Irvine that based on your click patterns and how you click around on a screen, with 80% accuracy, I can get the same big five personality traits. So I don't even need to do that. I don't need your data. I can predict everything about you. And guess what? The more I downgrade you to acting into dopamine and fear, the more predictable you become because there's two ways to make you predictable. One is I build a bigger supercomputer and I can predict a fuller and fuller space of things that you might do next. The second way to make you more predictable is to simplify you, Mm -hmm. is to make you outraged because when you're outraged, how does that feel? You act in a more predictable, reactive way. Technology is doing both those right now. That's why we say human downgrading is an existential threat because it's downgrading our choice-making capacity to not fall into... And not even know that it's and not, happening. And not even know that it's happening. Right. And so, again, we have to fix this. I want to go to the solution. What, what is that? Who fixes it? Is it regulators that say, well, you cannot do this anymore? Because it's so complex what yeah. they're doing. Correct. So what? who is responsible? Besides, what they seem to have done is, hey, you can turn it off. Right. You can't turn it off. No, you can't turn... You can, it's like saying you can turn off the environment you live in. You mm-hmm. You can't turn off your mm-hmm. public square, your electricity, right. or your right. water. Mm-hmm. Like, you need it. You, we live in these environments now. Right, right. So we have to make them habitable to us, and they have to be so what, the, the government does of public that? interest. The government. So the government has a Which role. Which has done it before with chemicals, banks, Correct. Cars. And Roger makes this metaphor all the time. Right. You know, we used to have the chemical industry. They just do whatever they want. Once we realize there are some bad externalities, we got to regulate it. Mm-hmm. Cars, same thing. Seatbelts, et cetera. Airplanes, FAA. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, if you consider that we're at the beginning of an accelerating trend, not at the beginning, we're at the like the tip of an of the exponential curve as it's starting to go up. Where these issues are only get crazier. Right. Technology is going to go faster. Yep. So at the very least, we used to have something called the Office of Technology Assessment, which basically was a nonpartisan group in yes, government to do at least an analysis and generate quick policy proposals, consult with the experts. You know, right now we're a nonprofit civil society group. A lot of this work is being done by people like Renee or Guillaume, people who stay up till three in the morning independently scraping data sets because they get Mozilla fellowships and can barely mm-hmm. scrape by. And they're the ones providing the accountability structure right now. This is not an effective system. We need to have well-funded, 
um, observations of all these harms and then generating policy proposals much faster. Just the way the government does weather or... Yeah. And, and this is, you know, E.O. Wilson, who's sort of the father of sociobiology, he has this quote that says, the fundamental problem of humanity is that we have these ancient paleolithic instincts, we have medieval institutions, and we have godlike technology. Mm-hmm. So paleolithic instincts, medieval institutions, mm-hmm. and godlike technology. The point is you can't have chimps with nukes and not regul- and regulate it with medieval 17th century, right, 18th right. century institutions. So the, the, at the very least, we need to bootstrap the institutions to have faster OODA loops, faster— right. To um, keep up with to it. To keep up with which it. Which is hard. Which is hard. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying we got to do that. Because these companies are nation states. Yeah. They just don't have anyone— They don't have any—exactly. Anybody and, being able to vote them out. Right. But they could also, I mean, for all the harms, they could be the thing that makes, that gives us exponential common ground, exponential ability to solve climate change. So they could be the things they? that help. Why don't they? Their business models and the fact that they're competing against one another mm-hmm. and the fact that they don't even see the issues as we've described them. I don't think that even the framing that we've laid out today mm-hmm. is the common understanding. There's, There's just three of them. Let's be honest. Maybe four. There's not that many. That's so. This is the Amazon, we, we, Facebook, exactly. Google, and maybe Alibaba this and is, WeChat. This right? is the the thing. So uh, the the negative is that the, side is that of, all of them. That's the yeah. There's I mean there's only like five. Apple exactly. Apple is not Apple, not in there quite the same. But way. Apple has, has a huge in, role absolutely. role to play. Yes, but they're Microsoft. not but they're not creating the problem. They have a role right. to play in the solution. Solution. Right. Right. Yeah. But the, but this is the good news. So this is what we said in our presentation. Look, like human downgrading is the climate change of culture. Like climate change, it can be catastrophic. Unlike climate change, only about a thousand people (laughs) among like five companies need to change what they're doing. Now, in saying that, I'm not trying to disempower the thousands and millions of us outside of these systems that are like, Mm -hmm. well, then I guess I'm not included. That's not it at all. This is going to take everyone, the policymakers, the shareholder activists to put board resolutions on these companies, board, uh, you know, board meetings. You know, the media guiding the conversation, mm-hmm. policymakers in government's job is to protect citizens from all these things. Uh, everyone has a role. We are trying to simply facilitate and, and accelerate that work by providing that common language and understanding. We asked about policy. One simple thing, okay. you know, the best ethics is the ethics of symmetry. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. For the kids stuff, imagine a world where you design products in such a way that you happily endorse and have your own children use those products for hours a day. That neutralizes about half the harms Mm -hmm. immediately because notice that none of the Silicon Valley executives have their own um, children use these products. Mm -hmm. The CEO of Lunchables... That's totally true. I've seen... They use them. Well, I've I've been around a lot of these children. Yeah, well, by the way, when I say that, it's not like Google search box Mm -hmm. or YouTube at all. I mean more like social media. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of them do not use social media at all. And, you know, it's just such a simple... Uh, shift to make. Mm-hmm. And the CEO of Lunchables, mm-hmm. you know, food, right. did not let his own children eat, eat Lunchables. Lunchables. Right. So you know you have a problem when you are not eating your own dog food. Mm-hmm. There needs to be skin in the game. Another principle is that the people closest to the pain should be closest to the power. There are groups that are trying to bring these ethnic minorities in these developing countries most affected by these things with no public representation. Mm-hmm. Here we are in the free world where, you know, Renee and Guillaume and others do this yeah. hard-to-do research and they publish it in Washington Post and New York Times. You know, in Nigeria and Cameroon and, you know, Sri Lanka, they don't have that same level of accountability. Mm -hmm. And so we need those groups to have a seat at the table. They should be included. Uh, uh, There needs to be much more diversity, obviously, in these conversations, but especially where we know sorted by the harms, by the tensions that are being produced. But there doesn't seem to be any movement that way. They're hoping it goes away. They're hoping it goes away. I mean, what it looks like to me from yesterday's F8 is Mark's now trying to create the greatest encrypted privacy organization on the planet now. He's just trying to encrypt it and hide it. 
Right. And obviously, you know. I mean, am I missing something? Like, he's like, oh, no, the jig's up over here. I'm going over. Right. Well, and a lot of that, I'm assuming, and I always want to be, you know, as charitable as possible and give the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure there are some good reasons for doing that Mm -hmm. based on, you know, again, they're the only, they're the only ones who have access to who know. So whatever decision making they're doing, they're the only ones deciding. That's a huge problem. Let's assume there's some good reasons for doing that. Besides that fact, there's still also the fact that this is the best way in the world to escape liability. Right. Because one of the things that happened with the Russian investigation is they don't want to look. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with children's mental health, they don't, as soon as they look, they're responsible. Right. So, you know, when it's all private and these decentralized channels, suddenly it's all happening in the dark. Mm-hmm. And there are many of us who are concerned about what that means for disinformation when there's no way to track what's exactly. happening. So uh, these are thorny problems. There's no easy solutions. We need complexity and nuance more than ever. We need thoughtfulness, not just naive tech clash. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that I've, through seeing what's happened with time well spent, with the race to hijack our minds, with, with the power of shared understanding, if people can see these the same way, if they can see the problem the same way, that the race to capture attention um, combines addiction, teen isolation, mental health, polarization, outrageification, the vanityification of our culture, that these are all connected issues. And we can call that human downgrading. The question is, how do we harness all the market forces, all the policymaking forces to as rapidly as possible reverse human downgrading? So who are the key players? The companies? The companies. And by the way, again, mentioning Apple, Apple can play such a huge role because they can incentivize that race. Um, They're not incentivized to maximize attention on device. And as people wake up to these issues, as they started to with the addiction things, they're they're rewarded by consumers to say, who's going to better protect my kids? Should I buy an Android phone? Should I buy an iPhone? So we just got to elevate the race to the top from the first one, which is who can show me a better chart and graph for where I'm spending my time, Mm -hmm. to a higher bar, which is who can reverse human downgrading? Who can can deepen? So Apple, yep. Uh, That's design changes. That's app store economic changes. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some deeper conversations to have there. Policymakers, there's a whole slew of policy. You know, we have a new person. I think they should have an API for mental health at Apple. (laughs) That's what I, you know. Yeah, I mean, mean, well, there needs to be. They need to enable access for these researchers because you know that's the other thing I said in my presentation. Like, we don't have time for a decade of research on this. Like, it's very clear when you understand the mechanics of a developing mind. I mean, I was just just with uh, Jonathan Haidt, who wrote The Righteous Mm -hmm. Mind. You know, he did this huge literature review. You can look it up online. It's like 50 pages. It is so clear that for teen girls between 10 to 14 years old, Mm -hmm. that social media is toxic. Self-harm, depression, um, suicides have all shot up in the last basically five years. Oh, you don't even have to do research. Yeah, you don't have to do it. It's common. First of all, it's common sense. Second of all, the research does confirm it. We don't have time to wait. And so the thing is, just like climate change, you can have people throwing doubt and dismissing all this stuff and saying, well, it'll take a long time. It's really complicated. Who's to say if it's really polarizing people? Is it issue polarization or relationship polarization Mm -hmm. or affective polarization? And then they'll use sort of academic status games to disinclude you from the conversation. It's like, no, we know it's causing polarization. Obviously, there's lots of polarization that's already existed, the birth of cable news and Mm -hmm. Fox News and these kinds of things that are magnifying it. But, you know, it's clear that technology has amplified it. And at the very least, how can they all be in a race to create what Jack, you know, at Twitter says, like healthy conversations, civility, open-mindedness, dialogue. How do you assess that with him? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, you know. He doesn't care. I'm sorry. You don't think he cares? No, I don't. I do not. Yeah. I do not. I don't think he thinks it's a problem. I think he thinks it's an irritant sometimes, but I don't think he thinks it's a problem. Well, you know, I don't know. 
I think I like him personally, but yes. honestly, yeah, I gotta yeah. say, this is too long, too long now. I think that for all these companies, and Facebook, they're doing well. Facebook, I know they're doing really well. That's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like they could hire so many more people, mm-hmm. anthropologists, social scientists, a lot of people who are you know doing the hard work and the research now. Mm-hmm. By the way, who who've yep. thought about this, who are not inside the companies, they could do so much more. And this obviously leads into their bottom line. But you know, let's let's take the example of Twitter. Um, back in when you and I spoke mm-hmm. in um, 2017, 2017, early. early, like January, February, 2017, mm-hmm. right after the election. Okay, there was a study out then that 17% of Twitter's users estimated were bots. Mm-hmm. 17%. Right. Okay, what happens when you've been telling Wall Street, I've got 200x million users, and they're and anchoring your stock price on that number? Mm-hmm. This is how many users we have because that's what makes you that valuable. Right. You can't just shut down 70, 17% <laughs> of your accounts. And also just to make sure I'm speaking to all the audiences, some of those bots are fine. They're just telling mm-hmm. you the weather. It's not that they're all Russian or whatever. But still, they're a problem and they're not going to go shut them down. Now, what happened um, exactly about, a, about half a year ago, at August 2018, um, Twitter shut down 70 million accounts, finally. And finally. that's a great move. Exactly, finally. It took, it took a long time. But when they did, Wall Street punished them mm-hmm. as opposed to rewarding them for actually doing the long-term regenerative Which thing. would make it a better... Which would make it a better system. So I agree with you. In each of the company's cases, they've acted too little too late. Zuckerberg saying it's a crazy idea that fake news impacted mm-hmm. the election. It's ridiculous. Or they, YouTube. They, or We're going to stop children's comments. I'm like, did pedophile just pedophilia just that, occur That just to happened you? like two to three right. months ago that right. the advertisers, and by mm-hmm. the way, YouTube only tends to respond when not just public pressure and media, but when their advertisers say we're going to pull mm-hmm. the money out. Mm-hmm. That's when they really respond. These are not effective accountability systems. We need democratic accountability systems. We can't just wait for whether so, we can wake the so, advertisers so up. So what would be a shock to their system? I, the removal of the immunity clause from the Communications Decency Act? I think CDA 230 is critical. Just um, remove it. Say, good luck with the lawyers. <laughs> well, we need Because I know create... when I say it to them, they're like, we'll be finished. And I'm like, eh, I'm good with that. Right. I'm, I'm teasing them, but I'm I, kind of like... I, I think okay. this is where the debate has to center. Right. I think there needs to be a massive review of CDA 230. For those who don't know, the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, is basically what birthed the internet because it says the platforms aren't responsible for the content that appears on right. them. But, you know, as Renee and I both have said, you know, freedom of speech is not the same thing as freedom of reach. Right. And that these platforms, when you're recommending Alex Jones 15 billion times, it's not that if people type in Alex Jones 15 billion times with their keys, with, their, with their hands. Yeah. It recommends them. If it's recommending them, think about, like, how big is the New York Times and the Guardian and all these people combined? It's nowhere no. close to 15 no. billion. And they're governed by this these laws. So they have to be responsible for recommendations of especially what we know to be hate speech or inciting violence or these things that are causing people to take up arms around the world. Mm-hmm. So we need a, a, a really deep review of Section 230, and that's something that's a bigger conversation, but um, we need to engage with policymakers on that. All right. So, Tristan, where do we go from here? What do you, what do you need? Uh, I'm with you. We, I'm in we, the Tristan army. We need, Someone asked me if I if I thought I was on your side or not. I'm like, I think it's, there's not a side. There's no side here. It's I mean, the it's only like, side. This, first of all, this is also not like yes, our please, side. Yes, please. I like my like, children addicted. Exactly, right. It's this, like This country ripped apart at the seams. That's right. my goal. Exactly. So this is just team humanity, and yeah. we're not at the center of it. We're we're simply trying to articulate a shared frame. We mm-hmm. want to help all the actors in the space. Because if, if you look at how big this is, mm-hmm. every country, every election, hundreds of languages, hundreds of countries— 
for issues ranging from mental health to polarization. So we, we have to solve it at such a huge scale. Every government is involved. Every shareholder activist is involved. We're trying to help the researchers accrue their research and, and show it to, to policymakers. We need policymakers engaged. You know, we have this new um, head of mobilization, David Jay, who's working on coordinating working groups on these topics. Some of the work is, is in public, in public mm-hmm. events. We're going to do a conference next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the work's behind the podcast, scenes. Podcast, you're going to start buying it. We're launching a podcast mm-hmm. called Your Undivided Attention, where we're, <laughs> <laughs> ironically, we're not, I mean, the whole point is... How about I leave you to your own devices? No, leave, yeah, exactly. That's another good pun. Um, but, you know, we're, we're going to be interviewing magicians, um, uh, you know... Magicians are a good idea. Well, just people who, who understand there's a subtlety to the human nervous system mm-hmm. that tech designers are not the most in touch with. They're just writing the code. They're not thinking about their own nervous system. So especially the social nervous system, like how do these things connect together? Mm -hmm. So those are the expertise that we need to rapidly accelerate that and, and hand it to the companies to be, I mean, we need to help them. I mean, as mm-hmm. much as they're, they're also the problem. I don't want to help Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> really? I, I hear you on that. Does um, he listen to you? Do you talk to him a lot? Uh, you know, we ran into each other at the Macron summit last year, but oh. we haven't we haven't really sat down and chat. I would, we would love to chat. Yeah, he doesn't like to see me. I was over there and he wouldn't let me. <laughs> I, yes. I brought some people over there and <laughs> it let me in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's hard. You know, the, I, I, I can't, say how many times I've gone back to the Upton Sinclair line, which is you can't get someone to question something that their salary depends on them not seeing. Right. Or another way of saying it is you can only have the ethics that you can afford to have. And right now the price for many of these companies is too high. That's why we need policy to make it more affordable. But you know, the other saying, they're so poor, all they have is money. Right. <laughs> anyway, Tristan, your work is amazing. I think it's great. I think there should be more research out and, we, and policy we need everyone's makers. Help. We need everyone's policy help too. makers yep. really need to step in here. Really smart all across the country and across the world. I think totally. it's really important. And I think we've cut, it's come to that. Yeah. I guess that's how it's. Well, I will say there's been more interest than ever from world governments from yep. who are affected by these issues, radicalization. I mean, this has to get stopped right now. So. Well, good. And two years, I hope we will have better answers. Exactly. Let's do this again. All right. Absolutely. 100%. Again, this is Tristan Harris. He's the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for Um, having me. And thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at HeyHeyESJ. How can people find you, Tristan? Go to our website, humanetech.com, check out our podcast, or I'm on Twitter at Tristan Harris. Okay, great. If you like this episode, we really appreciate if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to Ann Grimes and Ryan Roberts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips, plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO meets so much more. Start streaming now at hbomax.com.